0: Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. I'm wanting to to share with us actually this morning a a few thoughts around prayer. I know prayer is, is one of those aspects which I think without too much thought, we don't have to probably study the scripture too much to realize that prayer should be a key tenant of the Christian faith. Prayer in our private lives, prayer corporately. If we look at the church in Acts, there was a lot of prayer going on. And I want us this morning just to look at two passages of, of Scripture concerning prayer. The first one perhaps a little bit to do with the why we pray, and then the second one a little bit to do with the how we pray. I want us to pick up the story in the life of Christ. He's just finished the Last Supper. He's, we're in, for those of you who do, like Nietling, who was my old roommate when I was at Varsity or Flatmate, it's great to see him serving in, in church in such a powerful way. And as he shared with us, if you don't have a Bible in children's church, that's okay. If you don't have a Bible in big church, you can just sit next to a Christian. Um. <laughs> Although we do have it up on the screens for you as well. We're reading from Matthew chapter 26. And what's just happened here is Jesus has been um, ministering for about three years. Preaching, teaching, healing, doing incredible ministry. And he, he comes to the point where he knows his time has come. The end is near. The most important part of his ministry is lying ahead. And that's the time where he goes to the cross and he gives himself in your stead and in my stead. He becomes the propitiation for our sin. And this is about to, this time is about to unfold and he has his disciples. And disciples is a, is a loaded word in the modern church today because we often think of the disciples as the twelve. It's interesting when you look at the, the wording used in Scripture. We see the three sometimes referred, to Peter, James, and John, we'll see them right now, called as disciples. We see the twelve as disciples. We see the seventy or the seventy-two, depending on your translation. They're called disciples. We see the multitudes variously at times called disciples. And so discipleship isn't always a relational thing. It includes, a, there's a strong relational component, but all discipleship isn't necessarily relational. Just as Jesus speaking to the multitudes, the Bible calls them disciples. But he's got the twelve with him. They are having this last supper, and I've wondered, I don't know if you guys have seen the Da Vinci picture, sort of of the Last Supper, and saw a meme the, while, while the other go, why they're all sitting on the same side of the table? But anyway, <laughs> he's got this last supper. He shared with them. Judas is sort of identified himself as the betrayer. And then one of my favorite passages in all of Scripture, which I use completely out of context often, whatever you do, do quickly. And maybe those are my Joburg roots that come out there a little bit. And he's got the 12. And then Judas goes, there's probably just the 11 with him. And that's where we pick up the story. They sang a hymn and they went out to the Mount of Olives. On the way, Jesus told them, tonight... All of you will desert me, for the Scriptures say God will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised from the dead, I will go ahead of you to Galilee and I will meet you there. Peter declared, God I love Peter, what an example for all of us. Even if everyone else deserts you, I will never desert you. We know how that's turned out. But Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, Peter, this very night, before the rooster crows, you will deny three times that you even know me. No, Peter insisted. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. And all the other disciples vowed the same. We know they all broke that vow. But then we come to the part that I want us to focus on a little bit. Then Jesus went with them to the olive grove called Gethsemane. And he said, sit here While I go over there to pray. He took Peter and Zebedee's two sons, James and John. And he became anguished and distressed. He told them, my soul is crushed with grief to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. He went on a little farther and bowed with his face to the ground, praying, my father, If it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Then he returned to the disciples and found them asleep. And he said to Peter, couldn't you watch with me even one hour? Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. Should we pray and then we continue. Father, we Thank you this morning for the power of your word. We know that the entrance of your word brings forth light, Lord. That your word, it's living and it's powerful, Lord God. That your word is given to us for instruction, for correction, Lord Jesus. For reproof that the man of God and the woman of God assembled here today. That we may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we present our lives to you, our hearts to you. We pray, Spirit, breathe on your word. Make it alive to us and it quicken our spirits, Lord. We pray this morning for transformation that your word brings to find its way in our lives. And Lord, even as your minister, Lord, I just declare again my complete dependence upon you, Lord God, that it's not about the words I speak this morning, but the words that your spirit speaks to every heart. In Jesus' name, amen. We see here an interesting passage, and a passage which a while ago I was drawn to because I was, I was drawn to Jesus' reaction. What's happened is Jesus has come and he has told his disciples, he says, guys, I'm at the point of death. He explains this to his three best friends. He says, guys, I'm I'm in turmoil here. I need you to help. You guys wait over here. I'm going to go under a tree over there and I'm going to go and pray. And while you guys are waiting here, the implication is when he comes back, we see that pray for me when I'm over there. What drew drew me to this passage when I started studying it initially was Jesus' reaction. I studied this initially in the New King James translation. And what it says there, Jesus comes back after about an hour or so. He comes back to his disciples and they've fallen asleep. And it is the first time and perhaps the only time in Scripture, to my mind at least. And obviously I agree that I'm probably reading in just a touch here. I could be summing up the situation wrong. But I pick up just a hint of frustration from Jesus to his disciples. In the New King James, this passage reads, Jesus looks at them and says, What? Couldn't you even pray with me for one hour? And everywhere else where Jesus interacts with his disciples, I always read an incredible amount of grace. It's okay, don't worry, you'll get it right next time. Don't worry, Peter, you sank. Just get up, we'll walk back to the boat. It's okay. We pick that over and over and over and over. And here is the one time where I sense in Christ just a hint of frustration. Just a little bit of, guys, you can do better. That's all I wanted. I just wanted one hour. You, you could have done this. And I began to ask, but, but why? Why here does Jesus react differently to the way we see him reacting throughout the rest of his interaction with the disciples? You know what I began to realize, what I believe the Holy Spirit perhaps began to show me? Is Jesus is there going through a whole bunch of stuff, wrestling with the Father, and His disciples are over here. And Jesus believed His prayer, their prayer, over here, would change something about what He was going through over there. Jesus comes back to the disciples, and He is frustrated because Jesus believes in the power of His disciples' prayer. And I don't think the disciples believed in the power of their prayer. This is Peter who has just said, Jesus, don't worry, I will never desert you. Even if I have to die, this is the preceding conversation, even if I have to die, I will never turn my back on you. And I believe that Peter, I believe he was genuine when he meant it. We know when Push came to Stav, he he turned his back on Jesus and he kind of, I don't even know... Him. But you speak in a funny accent, yeah, oh, But doesn't need to follow. You know that that has nothing to do with it. I don't know this Jesus guy three times, and then the crow, the cock crows. But what I see here is Jesus coming, and and he believes in the power of his prayer. But Peter, James, and John sitting under the tree, seeing Jesus struggling over there, don't realize that they have within them the ability to do something about what Jesus is going through. They're sitting there, they're saying, Jesus, we are never going to turn our back on you. But hey, we might as well fall asleep when he's praying because perhaps inherently they don't really believe that their prayer changes things. And so this morning what I want to encourage you with is your prayer changes things. I believe God believes in the power of your prayer. Do you believe in the power of your prayer? Do you believe that your prayer over here changes something over there? Because that's what Jesus believes when he comes back to his disciples. What I read into the conversation here is, guys, you sitting over here could have changed something about what I'm going through over there. I'm wrestling with the Father. I'm going through some stuff and I don't get the mechanics. And this for me is I'm an analyst type of person. I love love understanding things. I love figuring things out. I've never been able to figure out why our prayer changes things. Except that that's how God created us to engage not only with the environment in which we live, but the spiritual dynamic in which we live as well. That as humans, in, in some way, He's put us together to be able to engage with His Spirit to bring about change. And here Jesus is wrestling. Jesus is going through, in a sense, if you'll excuse the wording, he's going through hell on earth. He's in anguish, he calls it. He's he's wrestling with the Father. And he believes that his disciples have it within them, the ability to change what he's going through. Maybe perhaps not to change the outcome. It's not like Jesus wouldn't have died on the cross if they prayed for him. But maybe it would have just been lighter for him to carry it. Maybe the anguish would have been less. Maybe his internal struggling would have been easier dealt with. And so perhaps even in these three days, as, as, or these two days as you guys are fasting together, what if you believed in the power of your prayer? What if you saw a situation, you saw a circumstance, you saw something over there and you realized me over here? I can change it. I can change it. i I don't know exactly how or what or what the mechanism is or how this works, but I do know that within the spirit that God has placed with inside of me, the the spirit of the living God, which Henny mentioned, is, is more valuable than anything in creation that dwells within me. What if I were to engage with that spirit and say, let's change something? There's a world out there that is broken. There is, you just pick up today's newspaper. There are a thousand different things that you can pick up from there that you realize needs to be different. People's lives around us, situations in our lives, things that are, we're going through, things that our are going, children are going through. What if we believed? What if we're willing to truly hold on and say, God, my prayer over here can change something over there. Jesus believed that about his disciples. I don't think his disciples believed it. That's why they fell asleep. I don't think Peter would have fallen asleep. James and John would not have fallen asleep if they said, Hey guys, Jesus right now is going through hell on earth and we can help him. We can help him. And if they really believed that, I I doubt that they would have let one another fall asleep. God wants to use you, He wants to use your prayers. We see here an interesting word in the English. It's watch, watch and pray. Which for me is always interesting as a kid when I read that because why do we need to close our eyes when we're praying? But, you know, (laughs) watch and pray with eyes closed. But the Bible speaks here about a type of prayer which I call watching prayer. I want you to imagine for a moment Jesus or even the disciples, let's say they happened to get it right and they did watch and pray. I wonder what that prayer would have looked like. That prayer wouldn't have been what I typically call an abiding prayer. Abide in me, Jesus says. Without me, you can do nothing. Abiding prayer is, I think, the the type of prayer which would typically fulfill the the large part of our quiet time. When quiet time is not meant to be so quiet, I hope we know that. You know, like every time, every now and again, I drive, especially in some of the smaller towns, you drive down the road and there's a street sign that says, Quiet, please, church. And I'm like, no, not quiet at church. Jesus has 10, 100 million angels, 10,000 times 10,000. That's 100 million angels before him, worshiping day and night with a loud voice. That's not quiet. Church, there's a time when we'd be still. Then know that He is God, definitely. and then All the world keeps silent before Him. There's, there's very much that biblical element, but there's a part like we had this morning, the, the jubilation. You guys are entering into a month of celebration in March. There's much to celebrate. Church shouldn't always be quiet. Now, quiet times shouldn't always be quiet. And there's this place of abiding, the type of abiding prayer, I believe that's the relational type of prayer that's the prayer where we come and we bring our heart before jesus and we listen to his heart and we we dwell with him we're with him in a relational way we we get to know him and we we study the word and we invite him to speak to us and we speak to him and those are beautiful precious precious times which every one of us need to have in our lives regularly but i don't think i don't think jesus says guys pray here what i want the three of you to do is just have the most amazing, intimate, beautiful, personal time with the Lord right now. I'm going to go, just stones throw away under the tree, I'm going to go through hell on earth, and you guys just, uh, when I come back, I just want you to tell me how beautiful the Father is to you, and how He touched you, and it was such a sweet moment. I don't want to make light of this type of prayers, but, but I don't think that is the situation that Jesus has in mind here. He's talking here about a different type of prayer, a prayer which He calls watching prayer. You see, if we look at abiding prayer and and watching prayer, the one is about intimacy and the one is about purpose. The one is to do with connecting with God. The other is about establishing His kingdom. The one is about sitting at His feet and the other one is marching alongside Him. I don't for a moment think that Jesus was sitting there saying, you guys just have a beautiful, intimate time connecting with the Father while I go over there and wrestle with the Father. No, I think what he's saying is there is a power within your prayer to bring about a change in the kingdom. And I want you in this moment to enter into that. Pray for his kingdom to come. Wrestle not with God, but alongside God. March alongside him in prayer to see his kingdom come, to have his will be done. We need both of those elements of prayer as part of our our prayer life. I've titled this message, Here, There, Everywhere. Because our prayer over here changes something over there. But Jesus goes just a little bit further as an example. In in 1 Timothy chapter 2 where he says, I urge you, first of all, to pray for all people. Ask God to help them. Intercede on their behalf. Give thanks for them. Pray this way for kings and all who are on authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. So much one can say about that. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants every to be saved to understand the truth. See, our prayer should be here, there, Everywhere. We're praying here and it's changing something over there, but we have the opportunity to tap into what God wants to do everywhere. I wonder how many of us have spent time praying around the coronavirus. I wonder how many of us have spent time praying around the budget just recently, the social and the physical economic situation here in South Africa. I wonder how many of us, when we pick up a newspaper, we see something we don't like, we enter into complain mode or we enter into prayer mode. We enter into a mode where this is wrong, it shouldn't be that way, I don't like this text, the government shouldn't be doing that, this decision is wrong, this morality, that, or God, this is wrong, your kingdom needs to be established here, let's pray into it. Because our prayer over here changes something over there. And yes, very much, that's in an evangelistic sense, that's in a sense to bring souls to Christ, but it's in a sense to establish the kingdom of the living God. And so over the next two days or the next day and a half, as you guys are still fasting, I want to encourage you in this. Your prayer can change things. Jesus believes that. Do you? Second passage that I want us just to look at briefly this morning is in Acts chapter 4. So now we have a church, and now we're going to see what happens when a church gets switched on to prayer. Peter, James, and John have learned their lesson. Jesus has rebuked them. Hey guys, you need to stay awake, you need to pray. And so the early church comes, obviously there's an incredibly, there's a serious change in the dynamic because they now fold with the spirit of the living God too and that obviously completely changes everything about our prayer. But we see an early church here, in Acts chapter 4, we see a church that's praying, praying a lot. They seem to be praying all the time, every time we read about the church in Acts, this prayer taking place. Peter and John have been captured and while they were captured, they were, the church was gathered together praying for them. And so eventually the church, because the church has been praying for them, they get released. Their prayer over here changed something over there and Peter and John get released. They are freed and they return to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and the elders had said, and we're going to see that from this point they move to a place of prayer. First thing that I want us to note that's so important, and in this next day and a half, as you're praying and as you continue to pray, we'll see in a moment in your lives going forward. I believe that watching prayer, effective, we know the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much, but then the question obvious is, what is an effective prayer? <laughs> Effective fervent prayer avails much, but what is effective fervent prayer? Fervent prayer, that's a little bit easier to understand. There's dear settings for more. There's an ability to press in, to press through, to carry on, all of those elements. But what is effective prayer? I think one of the elements of effective prayer is it's informed prayer. Informed prayer. Prayer that starts with an understanding of the situation. I have a a built-in, I didn't I guess I can use the word in this context because the Bible says we must hate evil and I believe an element of it is evil. I have a hatred for fake news. There are few things that irritate me more than when people send me stuff that is just obviously wrong. I mean, just in this week. So we've got this fantastic fraternal thing going in Pretoria. It is amazing. I love meeting with other church leaders and we've been in a group of 15 or so church leaders that... God has brought together in the city and spent a number of years praying together, seeking His face, just really seeing His kingdom come in beautiful ways. And I've got way too many WhatsApp groups here. And so we decided, just in the last month, we decided, well, let's open this up. And we brought another 40 or 50 significant church leaders in the city alongside us. And we opened up the WhatsApp group and we put some strict rules at the beginning. Because these things need to be there. And we're a week in And I get this message. From tomorrow onwards, there are new communication regulations. All calls are recorded. All phone call recordings saved. WhatsApp is monitored. Twitter is monitored. Facebook is monitored. All social media and forums are monitored. Inform those you do not know. Your devices are connected to the ministry systems. And so it carries on. And then I love how it ends. Um, Please share it. It's very much true. (laughs) And I look at that and my initial response The problem is it's an important group. I can't block the individual on the group. I want to leave the group. But I I wanted to tell this guy in a perhaps not so loving way to, you know, get a a life, you know, or something. Fortunately, one of my other pastor friends posted so beautifully. Guys, please be careful to post this as this seems to be fake. (laughs) He's a better pastor than me. But it's amazing how often we get moved to prayer by fake news. Or we get moved to prayer with, without first taking time to understand the situation. I believe we need to understand the situation. We see this here. Peter and John come back and the first thing they do is they inform the church about the facts. What is actually going on? The high priests, the elders, the priests, they are saying this. This is what they are communicating to us. This is what they want us to do. This is what they don't want us to do. This is what's happening. Our prayer should start there. There's nothing wrong with spending time on the blogs, on the newspapers. Let's find out what's going on to the world, because otherwise our prayers are everywhere except accurate. It's not effective prayer if we don't have a good understanding of what's going on. We had Ryan Smith. I know Mezzan and Henny and the team are trying to get him to come and join you as well from Cause for Justice. He's doing fantastic work, engaging with Parliament in many, many different um, facets and areas of life amongst others, the comprehensive sexual education which the department is busy rolling out. It was so encouraging to have somebody come and put all of the facts on the table for a number of reasons. Number one, it allows us to know as parents what can we do, but also it allows us as the church, how can we pray? What are the things that we can actually pray for without getting caught up in the Sunday newspaper rhetoric? Did our prayer be informed When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. They believed in the power of their prayer. They understood that there was a situation here that needed to be changed. They were dealing with something there which their prayer over here could change. And what was the first thing, the initial reaction? Well, let's pray. I remember when 9-11 happened. I don't know. If you can remember 9 11, I remember the moment, the day, I remember exactly what I was doing. I was studying for a rewrite for a mathematics paper at varsity. <laughs> and I was watching TV. I was staying at a friend of mine's house and he had a TV, and we didn't have flat screen TVs in those days. And we were watching TV, and I've always been a bit of a news nut, and CNN wasn't then nearly as liberal as they are now. And I was watching CNN, and They said, wait, wait, breaking news. And they went over to this reporter standing in front of the World Trade Center with smoke coming out. And while they were speaking, the second plane flew into this thing. And kind of that was the end of second year algebra for the rest of the next week or so. It was all of this news, and I remember kind of, we didn't have WhatsApp or anything, but phoned a friend and said, this is Osama bin Laden, and they said, who? And I was like, don't you know, no one had known about Osama bin Laden, but I'd been in news nuts, so I'd heard the name and kind of figured this looks like his modus operandi. But then I got a message from another friend. Valalam, some of you know him, he's a winemaker in Armanis now. He said, come, let's meet together at my house at 5 o'clock or whatever it was, and we're going to spend time and we're going to pray for the world. The initial reaction was, here is a problem. It's not just glued to the TV, let's see, but what can we we can pray? Because our prayer over here changes something over there. The early church believed that. They came together. The immediate reaction is to pray. We also see here that there is corporate prayer. We need private prayer. We need abiding prayer. We need time when it's just me alone with God. And sometimes that's watching prayer as well often. But there's a beautiful place for corporate prayer, coming together and praying together. And I love that about God. He hears all of our prayers at the same time. A sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them. I love how they start their prayer. I love how they start their prayer. And I don't think they're starting their prayer appealing to God's ego to make him feel really good so that he would listen to them. No, I believe they start their prayer in this way to remind them who they're praying to. They're starting their prayer this way. They're saying, oh, sovereign God, God doesn't need to be reminded that he's sovereign. I need to be reminded that God is sovereign. I need to be reminded that I'm not just praying to the ceiling or a building. I'm not just praying to some carving or some person. I'm praying to a risen, resurrected, living God who hears my prayer. Oh, sovereign God, creator of heaven on the earth, O oh, heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, I need to remind myself that the situation I'm about to pray about God is bigger than that situation. It stirs faith inside of me. The power of our prayer is not in the volume of what we are praying. It's not in the length of our prayers. Doesn't Jesus say that explicitly? It's not about the wordiness, how verbose we can be in our prayer. Think of Samuel's mom. She's on her knees in front of a, the altar in the temple and she's praying, and Eli comes to her and thinks she's drunk what are you doing? Why? Your lips are moving but there's no words coming out. She says, no, I'm just desperate. I'm desperate. My translation. God hears that prayer. God looks at that place, the heart where the prayer is coming from. Our prayer and the power and our prayer is not in the volume. It's not in the length. But it's, are we able, to, or do we allow the Holy Spirit to connect our, our heart with that which is on God's heart? Also, Obviously, just the the God who we are praying to is where the power comes from. God, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against the Messiah. Something that I've learned and I'm appreciating more and more in my prayer life, start with Scripture. Start with Scripture. Pray Scripture. We've been doing that in in Pretoria. We've taken the book of 1 John, five chapters, for the first half of the year, and then the second half we're going to mobilize our church to do it. And we're taking five months or six months to study five chapters, 1 John, one chapter a month for the first five months of the year, basically. And then July is exam holidays, and then students don't study anything else. One chapter a month. And you know what we decided to do is a little bit differently. We don't preach on it at the beginning of the month. That's chapter. What we do is we take our first Monday prayer, which we've been doing for a number of years. We take first Monday prayer. And for this month or for this, we're taking one chapter a month. And that's our prayer, first Monday prayer. 1 John, chapter 1, was for January. Sorry, I think we only started in February. That's where the sixth month is. 1 John, chapter 1. So this month of prayer and fasting, we've done 1 John, chapter 2. And for the whole month, we're just praying through 1 John chapter 2. And at the end of the month, we preach on 1 John chapter 2. Do you know what that does? It means that we prayed up about what we're preaching about, which is pretty cool. But do you know what else it does? It means when the people in the congregation are praying through those Scriptures, they're not praying what Philip has said, they're lying the Holy Spirit to show them. And then at the end, we come and we bring context and whatever through the Word. That there's something powerful what happens. It's amazing. We took 1 John chapter 1 at the beginning of... Yeah, I God. 1 John was fit January. Yes, that makes more sense. 1 John 2 is February, which is what we've just done now. And tomorrow, today we start with 1 John chapter 3. 1 John 1. 10 verses, 1 John 1. Spent a couple of hours praying through 10 verses, not even getting close to being finished. And all we were doing was praying through the Scriptures. Allowing the Holy Spirit to breathe life over His Scripture. It is amazing how our prayer changes when prayer doesn't start with my opinion, but prayer starts with God's opinion, with His Word. Let me find a relevant passage, a relevant scripture. Let me take my time, my homework to the prayer meeting is, God, what are you saying about this? Because when we come to the prayer meeting, let's pray that. What are the scriptures that inform this thing? We need to pray His will. How can we know His will if we don't start at the scriptures? Verse 27, in fact, this has happened here in this very city. So God, you said this would happen. It's not like this has caught you off guard. In fact, it's happening here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant whom you anointed. They're just praying that scripture. You said, God, that... Where were we were just jumping here too much. Why the nations are angry, why they're wasting their time with futile plans. The kings of the earth prepared for battle, they have gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. That's exactly what's happening here, God. They're placing in their own minds, in their prayer, in context. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. I love how they remind themselves of God's purposes in the midst of their situation. They're reminding themselves of, but God, what if? What have you already said about our situation? It's not, God, we don't need a new word. God, we don't need a new plan. We don't need a new vision. I've got nothing against that. We need new words from time to time. But here they start with, God, what have you already said? You've already said what you want to do in this situation. I love how prayer changes me. Prayer changes us. How, when I spend time in prayer, authentic prayer, effective prayer, scripture based prayer, it's not like God's sitting there suddenly thinking, oh, that's a really good point, Philip. Haven't thought of it that way before. Maybe, yo, 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 this changes everything. Okay, okay, let me just rework the future of human history as I planned it because I, I missed something there. No, he's sitting in heaven. You know what? Nine times out of ten, what's happening more than anything else is my heart is being changed. Prayer changes me before it changes anyone or anything else. When I begin to pray for our president, I change before the president changes. But the change in me allows me to pray effectively and with love to act accordingly in a Christ-like fashion towards the president. And so our prayer, when we start with the Word of God, we allow ourselves to get on God's page. Too often I've been in prayer meetings, too often I've led the prayer meetings, I've been part of prayer meetings, I've instigated prayer meetings, where we've got our sheet and we, God, please come on our page. And after a whole bunch of wrestling, hopefully we'll move over to His page. But what if we start just by simply saying, God, what is your page? Can we start there? A point of departure, its vertragment is from God's God's page. So now, Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Pray big prayers. I love how they do that. that God, this is the context. Well, you said this was going to happen. It is happening right here before. So God, give us strength. God, we want to pray big prayers, Lord God. Bold prayers because we're praying to a big God. I always wonder why do we need to pray small prayers if we're praying to a big God? Let's pray big prayers when we're praying to a big God. They come and they pray and they pray. And, and this is where the prayer moment happens. In a sense, the rest is almost a preparation for prayer prayer if you can phrase it that way it's part of the prayer they've lifted up their voice they've already started praying but this is the point where their spirits begin to engage where they ask where they bring their petition before god none of the previous parts were petitioning it was all god this is what you said was going to happen this is what's happening and so god allow us to act in the way that you want us to act give us boldness give us strength Quicken our spirits. God, not only that, but let there be signs and wonders and miracles. God, come and do the crazy things that only you can do so the world can know that Christ is the Savior. Ask boldly. Pray big praise. I love how there's no hesitance. It's not like, and Jesus, maybe if it's your will, then could you perhaps, um, could you perhaps heal one or two people? Because that would be really amazing. Um, But we don't really know, God, if maybe, maybe not, if, if you're willing to kind of maybe do something here. That's not their prayer. They're like, and so God, stretch out your hand with healing power. They've already settled what the will of God is so they can pray it boldly. Let may miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. There's a faith that's infused within them. There's faith that comes out of all who they are. They can ask big things because they know a big God and they already know what his plans are. They know, Jesus, this is what you want us to do. When you left us, you said, go into all the world. You said, heal the sick, cleanse the lepers. Jesus, do that. Because you've already spoken it into being. And then verse 31, I love this. After this prayer, the meeting place Shook. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and the implication is there and new because they would all been filled with the Holy Spirit. And God answered their prayer. What was their prayer? Their prayer wasn't about all the stuff that's happening. Their prayer was, God, give us boldness. So what is the answer? They preached the word of God with boldness. So the answer isn't that the, in the fact that the building was shaken. The answer is that they went out and there was boldness in their preaching. And the answer is that God, the signs and wonders, expect God to answer. I challenge myself often with this. I try, try to challenge our congregation with this often. Are we more surprised when God answers our prayers or when He doesn't answer our prayer? Which one are we more surprised by? Do we come home to our parents, to our kids? You know the thing we pray, God actually answered. Or do we come home... You know the thing, we prayed. God hasn't answered yet. Maybe we should pray again. We were expecting Him to answer. We, he's God who answers prayers and he, he hasn't answered our prayers. I think we need to pray again. But I think sometimes in church we're more surprised when He does answer than when He doesn't answer. We're expecting our prayers to not be answered. We're expecting our prayers just to be another prayer, if I can put it that way. But we see here the early church, they went out the, knowing God was going to answer. They were willing to be bold. They were willing to be prophetic in their action, to say, God, we've prayed for this, and how are we going to do it? We prayed for boldness, so if we prayed for boldness, that means we need to make a deliberate action to be bold. And as they step out, God, would you grant us the boldness to be able to do it? Here is a picture of the early church coming together and believing that their prayer over here changes something over there they were willing to engage with the way and that mandate in which god has given us he placed us here on the earth in some way that allows our prayer to change things you're taking a day and a half of fasting and prayer are you expecting god to use it Are you expecting things to be different over there because you've prayed over here? Or is it, let's fast because it's on the church calendar and my soul facilitator is not going to be happy if he hears if I haven't fasted. Or are we fasting because God, I I really truly believe that my prayer over here changes something over there. That these empty seats, there are people who could be sitting here and I'm going to be praying for my colleague who sits to the office sits in the office on the right to me, the, the colleague who shares the office across the road, my boss who I'm a little bit upset with, but I'm going to start praying for him, and God's going to change my heart because he needs to be sitting in this chair so he can hear the message of the gospel. And my friend, my, my, my child's friend at, at school, they're going through a really rough time at home. I'm, I'm praying for their child, and I'm praying for those parents. And God, I'm seeing them filling these rows because you are a God who hears our prayer. And there's brokenness outside and there's injustice and unrighteousness happening. And obviously we can't pray to all, all of the time. But God, what are the things that you're stirring in my heart? Because I believe, God, you're going to change something. Maybe I won't see the change tomorrow. Maybe Jesus, Peter, James, and John sitting under the tree, praying over here, even if they haven't prayed, maybe they wouldn't have realized or seen the effect in Jesus' life. Jesus would have experienced it. Maybe they wouldn't have seen it. Does that mean it didn't make a difference? Of course it made a difference. Jesus comes back and he's frustrated for them because they don't believe in the power of their prayer. I hope and pray that he doesn't come knocking on my door and say, Philip, why don't you believe in the power of your prayer? Your prayer over here can change things over there. Can I give you one more reason why you should be praying? Is anyone here ever asked and prayed, God, what is your will for my life? Anybody here ever asked that? You already all know it. Okay. I ask it often. God, what is your will for my life? And then I love passages like this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you. You belong to Christ Jesus. What is God's will for your life? Well, perhaps it's less about the specific job type and career than it is to be joyful. To pray without ceasing. To pray always. To be thankful in every circumstance. That is part of God's will for your life. So hopefully we're praying today and tomorrow as you guys are fasting and praying. But hopefully your prayer goes beyond tomorrow. Hopefully you're understanding that God, my prayer over here changes something over there. As a matter of fact, God, you want me to engage with Everywhere. My prayer here changes something there, extends everywhere. Not just tomorrow when we're praying together, but day in and day out, we live lives committed to praying for our Father who art in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Can I just one last, say that one of the reasons I think sometimes as a church we're hesitant to pray is because we believe the lie that whatever happens is God's default. And if it was, why did Jesus tell his disciples to pray for his kingdom to come? Why wasn't it, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your will is happening anyway on earth as it is in heaven. That's not the prayer. The prayer is, let your kingdom come here on this earth. Because it is not always coming here on this earth as it should be in heaven. Let's pray that. That's our watching prayer. Let your kingdom come here on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. Amen. I'm going to hand back to Henny, but before we do that, I want to pray with you guys and for you guys because I know this is going to sound really weird, but hopefully you get where I'm coming from. I believe my prayer over here is going to change something over there. And so I want to pray for us this morning and then I'm going to hand back to Henny and the team and they're going to lead us further. So, Father, I thank you for this incredible church, God. Thank you for this community, Lord, a a group of people who you've brought together, not just by accident, but by your purpose, Lord. Lord, you've brought them together because you have a kingdom, Lord, to establish. There are lives to be redeemed and restored, Lord God. There are relationships to be built here in this city, God. And I thank you for this lighthouse, a light tower, a group of people who are willing, even this morning, to just say again, Lord Jesus, here I am, use me, Lord, I pray for every single one here who in some way and for some reason has perhaps begun to doubt the power of their prayer. I pray this morning that they realize again that the power of their prayer is not in themselves. The power in their prayer is in you who hears it. That the power of the prayer is not in the petitioner, but the power of prayer is in the petitioned one. And so Jesus, we call upon your name. And we ask, would you bring about change in every one of our hearts? God, would you stir faith in us? Would you give us boldness? Would you let us know the power of our prayer, God? Would you allow us to pray for your kingdom to come, for your will to be done? God, I pray that this church would continue to grow in prayer, even tomorrow as they come together in First Monday prayer, that you would make them a truly praying church, where prayer would continue to be one of the key tenets of everything that they are and do. God, I pray that they would never forget that their prayer over here can change something over there. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.